Hello, this is Mark Eckstein, and for the next hour, I will be reading from the May 18, 2023 issue of Warsaw's Country Courier on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Results for annual school voting are in. The annual school budget and Board of Education vote was held across the state on Tuesday, May 16, 2023. The following are the results as reported by the respective school districts. Attica Central School. Proposition number one, a budget of $32,304,940 for the 2023-2024 school year passed by a vote of 259 yes and 148 no. Proposition number two, purchase of a 30-passenger school bus and related equipment passed by a vote of 305 yes and 100 no. Proposition number three, approval of a multi-year transportation contract with Student Transportation of America Incorporated for three years passed with a vote of 345 yes and 62 no. The Board of Education candidates were re-elected for three-year terms. Pamela Rudolph, 319 votes, Brian Fugel, 306 votes, and Michael Janes, 280 votes. Perry Central School District, Proposition Number 1, Budget of $20,245,808 for the 2023-2024 school year, passed by a vote of 168 yes and 16 no. Proposition Number 2, Two seats on the Board of Education for three-year terms beginning July 1, 2023. Julius Westfall received 172 votes, and Ian McDougall received 171 votes. There were two additional write-in candidates. Proposition number three, authorizing the district to expend funds in the amount of $230,000 from the Capital Reserve Fund established on May 16, 2017 for the acquisition of instructional, maintenance, and interscholastic athletic equipment. This proposition passed by a vote of 173 yes and 13 no. Warsaw Central School. Proposition number one. Budget for the 2023-2024 school year in the amount of $24,041,000 passed by a vote of 182 yes and 42 no. Proposition number two. Capital Improvement Project 2023 in the amount of $22,960 with no additional tax impact to make updates in the locker room and restrooms, science classroom improvements, and other work was passed by a vote of 172 yes and 46 no. Proposition number three, purchase of real property, was passed by a vote of 172 yes and 54 no. Proposition number four, support of the Warsaw Public Library passed with a vote of 200 yes and 26 no. Board of Education candidates for two five-year terms elected are Gail Royce with 193 votes and Michael Youngers with 183 votes. Wyoming Central School District, proposition number one. Budget of $6,199,959 for the 2023-2024 school year was passed with 84 yes and 26 no. 
Proposition number two, Board of Education candidates elected are Caitlin Bush with 93 votes and Barry True with 97 votes. There were seven write-in candidates noted. Two received two votes and five received one vote each. Proposition number three, authorization to withdraw from the existing 2020 vehicle machinery and equipment purchase capital reserve fund was passed by a vote of 91 yes and 19 no. Proposition number four, authorization to establish 2023 building capital reserve fund passed with a vote of 91 yes and 19 no. Proposition number five, Wyoming Free Circulating Library Association support was passed by a vote of 82 yes and 28 no. Editor's note, the results for Letchworth Central School District were not received prior to publication. Teaming up to strike out cancer. Letchworth and Perry Softball teamed up to strike out cancer on Thursday, May 11, 2023. Donning their cancer awareness jerseys, the Letchworth and Perry Softball teams line up before they play their strikeout cancer game on May 11 at Perry. Four guests who have had or are battling the disease were honored at the game. See pages 6 and 7 for game recaps and more high school sports news. Java attorney gives brief explanation on proposed property maintenance law. Java, New York. The town of Java's attorney, David DiMatteo, made an appearance during the board's May 11, 2023 meeting to review the proposed lawn maintenance law that has been proposed by the planning board. Supervisor Vanessa McCormick stated that the purpose of inviting DiMatteo was to explain some parts of the law that have caused some contention. DiMatteo explained that the first page explains where the authority comes from and how it is enacted as well as the applicability. The Town of Java's property maintenance law will apply to all residential, commercial, industrial, and municipal premises within the town. Both residential and non-residential properties will need to comply with the provisions. DiMatteo pointed out that a big part of the community that is not listed to comply with the law is properties under agriculture. He continued to read that the new law will not abolish or impair already existing laws. Quote, we're not overriding anything that you already have, unquote, he said. DiMatteo continued that several definitions are given in the law, such as hazardous materials, discarded appliances, garbage, trash, litter, inoperable vehicles, hangings, accumulations of ice and snow, etc. It just goes through general definitions, he said. DiMatteo continued explaining that the law that goes on about structural soundness, to which a lot is already a duplication under the state law. Further into the reading that is more localized to Java, he read about the maintenance of yards. Quote, no owner or occupant should be allowed garbage, litter, rubbish to accumulate upon such a lot for a period of three weeks. Garbage, litter, or rubbish which is stored in appropriate receptacles should be removed provided the owner or occupant of the lot is made arrangement of regular removal of garbage, unquote, DiMatteo said. 
He continued that any lumber, building materials or equipment or parts of equipment that are being stored by the owner-occupant should be stored neatly. Property owners will also need to provide proper drainage of their lawns with the exemption of those who are living in a floodplain. Each property should be moved at least three times a year, directly before Memorial Day, directly before the 4th of July, and Labor Day, DiMatteo read. He continued that the length of the grass at the end of mowing should be no less than two inches. So if you're going to mow your lawn, you can't mow it 12 inches, he explained. Highway superintendent stated it should be more than two inches, to which DiMatteo stated that it can be changed. That's why you have public hearings and people tell you what it should be. Two inches might scalp too much. I don't know. You sort of have to have something, because otherwise you can mow it 18 inches, DiMatteo said. Reading onwards, DiMatteo continued with the maintenance of buildings and structures. <clears throat> he read that owners, occupants of buildings should not allow their buildings to have improperly secured objects. These are in regard to canopies and overhangs. In addition, lot building should not be allowed to fall into a state of dilapidation or decay. The exterior walls of buildings should be in a good state of repair. In regards to having unlicensed or unregistered vehicles stored on the property, he stated that the state law allows for one vehicle. However, the town of Java's planning board has provided for more of that. DiMatteo explained that the planning board had wanted to allow for a, quote, permitted unregistered vehicle for purposes of a plow vehicle, unquote. To have that, a permit will be needed for the owner. The permit will be $45 a year, and the owner will get a placard that can be placed in the vehicle. This will then ensure that the unregistered vehicle will not be counted as the one unregistered vehicle by the state. Reading further about the enforcement of the law, DiMatteo explained that the town can give 30 days for the owner to fix the violation with a 30-day extension. The purpose is to give people notice, he said. DiMatteo continued that what fixed the offense is the town can hire someone to fix the offense. Quote, the town can hire someone to come and mow your lawn if it's a lawn mowing thing. If it's fixing a roof or something like that, again, the town is going to hire somebody, unquote, he explained. The town may seek the imposition of monetary penalty in a court of confident jurisdiction. The town may seek injunctive relief if necessary, meaning you would go to a state Supreme Court judge. In addition, according to the proposed property maintenance law, any person, firm, or corporation which shall be found to be in violation of the provisions of this local law shall be guilty of an offense which shall be punishable by a fine of not more than $250 or by imprisonment for a period of not more than 15 days or both such fine and imprisonment. Each week of continued violation shall be considered a separate offense. Councilman David George clarified that the law does not include agricultural properties, which DiMatteo stated that they would be exempt. McCormick did state that while not covered in this law, problems such as overhang on an agricultural property could fall into buildings and codes. Councilman Doug George commented, I just know the zoning officer is going to do this. 
I even said something to him, and he said, There's no way I'm doing that, he continued. DiMatteo stated that this is a lot of work, and it will not be fun. It's not fun doing that to your neighbors, DiMatteo said. It really isn't. There's nothing fun about it. Following the explanation, the board had no further comments on the law. McCormick had then asked the board if they should go forward and hold a public hearing, abandon, or table the law. The board had agreed to move forward with a public hearing in regard to the law. The public hearing will be held at the next board meeting, which will be held June 8th, June 8th, 2023, at 7 p.m. in the town hall. In other news, the town received two bids for diesel fuel. The first bid was from Crab Oil. Their bid was $2.0677 with no delivery charge. The second bid was from Dave Reisdorf Incorporated in the amount of $2.54 with a 19-cent delivery charge. The board awarded the bid to Crab Oil. McCormick pointed out to the board that the New York State Association of Counties and the New York State Association of Towns have changed the format of the minutes. She continued that the two organizations have recommended the minutes that are under the Roberts Rules of Order, a procedure that the town enacts every year, are not verbatim minutes. They also do not ask for who made the motion and who seconds them. We are to do the topic, whatever the resolution before the board, and whether it passed or failed, and the vote for that. But they do not recommend verbatim notes, she said. McCormick continued that the town clerk will be changing her minute-taking notes to follow what is recommended. And finally, planning board member Penny Logel turned in her resignation for her seat. The board accepted the resignation with regret. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from Warsaw's Country Courier on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Wyoming County asks for official approval to assign addresses by Maya Borer. Questions were flying during the Town of Arcade May board meeting in regards to an intermunicipal agreement with Wyoming County for address assignment services. Questions as to when this started, what it means, and what the process is like were asked, and there were very few answers known at the time. Director of Wyoming County Office of Emergency Services Brian Myers, who was also a part of the county's addressing committee, explained in an email interview following the meeting that the agreement is a formality, as Wyoming County has been responsible for assigning addresses in towns for over 15 years. It is noted that the policy will not impact villages as they do their own assigning. Even though the county has been responsible for assigning addresses for quite some time, one of the first things that needs to be addressed is that there is no agreement that specifically grants the authority to the county. The committee felt it was important to officially give the county approval to assign addresses through a memorandum of understanding with each town, he said. This agreement just officially gives the county the responsibility to continue the work they have been doing on behalf of the towns. Each town supervisor was given a memorandum of understanding to sign individually. Myers explained that over the past year, 
the county's addressing committee, the Emergency Services Real Property Highway and Global Information System, has been revising and updating the process in which addresses are assigned, citing issues in numbering and street names. The reason for the errors leads to simple clerical issues from over the years, Myers said. One example given was an area along Route 19 in South Warsaw. That area on Route 19 does have discrepancies between a Warsaw and Silver Springs zip code and mailing address. Hand-drawn maps and ledgers passed on overtime may be interpreted differently, which can lead to these issues, he said. The main reason for the update is to, quote, improve the delivery of emergency services by decreasing the amount of time between the initiation of an emergency and the arrival of requisite emergency services, also referred to as total response time, unquote. So reads the proposed policy. Myers explained that one of the main reasons why emergency services can be delayed is because of the way the streets have been designed. Streets are designed to have numerical range, which is what the county highway department measures when determining the address. If a residence has a number out of range, a first responder traveling down the street that is following the house numbers listed on the signs by the road will have difficulty finding the correct location if the house they are responding to is not in that range, Myers explained. If you call an ambulance for an emergency at your home, you want the driver, whether it is a local volunteer or a paid service that may not be familiar with the area, to find your home as quickly as possible. Losing one life because of an addressing issue that we could correct through this policy is one life too many. It is not just emergency services that can get confused. Many people have cited issues with their mail. Myers stated that the committee has gotten calls from people and post office about being unable to receive Amazon deliveries or that their deliveries are going to the wrong address because of what is listed on the map. In addition, some roads listed on Internet mapping sites may have incorrect names that have never existed in the county. As the committee is working to update the road addressing issues, Myers stated that the process has also allowed us to gain a better understanding of how Amazon, Google, etc. develop their maps. The committee is working to clean up existing issues with address assignment, assign addresses correctly going forward, and develop a phased approach to modify existing addresses that are out of order. During the Arcade Town Board meeting, Supervisor Doug Berwanger acknowledged that some towns do have issues that need to be fixed. Myers explained that addresses that were assigned were documented on a ledger with the owners' names. Years later, these ledgers have been updated, and the committee is currently working to digitize the records to allow for easier updating. There are a number of properties throughout the county which have incorrect numbers or numbers that are out of order. There could be a few reasons why this has happened, and part of this process will work to ensure the wrong address is not assigned originally, as well as attempting to correct those addresses which are out of range when they are in the process of a sale, Myers said. It was also under the impression during the board meeting that should someone have the incorrect address, they would have to change their address. According to the policy, in the event that a property owner changes their address, they will have 45 days to update their mailing address. When asked if the county will force the change, Myers stated that they would not force anyone to change their address unless they are willing to, although 
We certainly would appreciate those who have been utilizing the wrong address to make the change in the interest of public safety, Myers said. Another point brought up during the board meeting was the road naming conventions. In the policy, it reads that, quote, Street names shall not be duplicated throughout the county wherever possible. Existing road names will not be changed to the extent practicable, unquote. One arcade board member questioned what this means for the county. For example, say that there are five towns that have the same street name. Will four of them have to change? And if so, who decides to keep the original name? Myers explained that the duplicate road name changes will only be applied to new road names, not existing names. Quote, the policy would not change any existing names. It would just prevent new public roads from having similar names, Myers said. The project is being spearheaded by the committee, with the changes and processes already being done in day-to-day -day operations. While looking at old and existing roads and attempting to fix the errors, Myers explained that the GIS coordinator and real property will have the heaviest lift as they are looking at parcels daily to work through various issues that come up. It will save our county highway department time and fuel as they will not have to travel out to the site to physical measure as the goal is to eventually assign addresses from the desktop using global information system mapping. The entire process to update the addresses to the best of their ability will take years. Myers recalled that Livingston County had similar issues, and it took them 20 years to correct the issues. Some may not be resolved, but it is the hope to identify and correct as many as we possibly can. That is why this project has been broken down into a multi-step process that will continue over time, said Myers. Myers also noted that this project is also run in conjunction with the fire district maps, which many towns are working on. Weekly Police Report from the New York State Police Thursday, May 4th In Bennington, Jamie Ficarella, 47, of Colesville, was charged with one count of petite larceny, a Class A misdemeanor. Ficarella was issued an appearance ticket for her charge. Wednesday, May 10th, in Attica. Gimmel Kimball, 37, of Attica, faces felony contraband charges in relation to an incident that took place on January 18, 2023, approximately 7.30 a.m. Kimball is charged with one count of assault while confined in a correctional facility, a Class D felony, one count of assault with intent to cause serious injury with a weapon, a Class B felony, and two counts of possession of dangerous contraband in prison in the first degree, a Class D felony. Kimball is currently being held with the investigation still pending. Thursday, May 11, in Elma, police responded to a two-car motor vehicle accident at the intersection of Girdle and Jameson Roads. The drivers involved were a 40-year-old from Plainfields, New Jersey, and a 27-year-old from Attica. No injuries were reported. Friday, May 12th, Gainesville. A 56-year-old female from Perry was involved in a one-car property damage accident on State Route 19A. No injuries were reported. The Warsaw Police Department on Friday, May 5th, West Buffalo Street. 
Following a traffic stop initiated for speeding in a marked zone, Shalene L. Parson, 40, of Laurel, Maryland, was charged with AUO in the third degree. She was processed roadside and released to a third party with a valid driver's license. Parson is set to answer her charge in the Village of Warsaw Court on June 5th. Sunday, May 7th, at South Main Street, police conducted a traffic stop for speeding through a marked speed zone. The operator of the vehicle, Corey Schonk, 37, of Medina, was charged with AUO in the third degree. He was processed roadside and released to a third party. Schonk is due back in court on June 5th. Monday, May 8th, East Buffalo Street, Christopher W. Jackson, 33, of Hamburg, was pulled over by police reportedly for a loud exhaust. Upon interviewing Jackson, he was charged with DWI with a previous conviction within the last 10 years. He was issued appearance tickets and released on his own recognizance to a sober third party. He is due back in court at the village on June 5th. Thursday, May 11, Livingston Street. Police responded to a report of an argument with a landlord. Upon further investigation, Eric R. Ryan, 42, of Warsaw, was charged with menacing in the third degree and processed at the Warsaw Police Department. He was arraigned at the village of Warsaw Court and released on his own recognizance. He is set to return to court on June 5th. Sunday, May 14th, North Main Street. Following an investigation, Joseph F. Friends, 37, of Warsaw, was charged with endangering the welfare of a child under the age of 17. He was arraigned at the village of Warsaw Court and was due back in court on May 15th. Three correction officers graduate from the academy. Three corrections officers from the Wyoming County Sheriff's Office recently graduated from the Correction Officer Academy. The officers, Robert Krobe, Carissa Park, and Derek Forsha attended the academy hosted by the Livingston County Sheriff's Office Correctional Services Bureau from January 16th to April 27th, 2023. The Wyoming County Sheriff's Office stated in a press release that the officers were trained on a variety of topics, including ethics, defensive tactics, caring for inmate population and essential services, correction law, penal law, effective communications, and security and supervision in a correctional facility. Congratulations to our three corrections officers and thank you to the Livingston County Sheriff's Office for hosting such a successful academy, the Wyoming County Sheriff's Office said. Excavator talks continue in the town of Java. Highway Superintendent Mike Kozlowski gave the board proposals for a trailer excavator during the May 11, 2023 Java Town Board meeting. He stated that if the town waits to purchase one, the price will definitely go up. Kozlowski continued that this excavator proposed is the same one as the town of Orangeville has. In addition to the proposal, Kozlowski reported that the town's current excavator was being used for ditching. Upon its use earlier that day, the forward gear was lost. So we spent three hours in the grease, and we don't know if we pinpointed it yet, he continued. Kozlowski continued that he called regarding the part that operates the forward and backward of the plunger for the hydraulics, and the cost of it would be $400 for each. 
It's up to you guys. Pretty soon we're going to be as much into this thing as that new proposal right there, he said. Councilman Doug George stated that he personally believes that they should be looking into a decent used machine. Quote, it's just a lot of money to spend for a little bit of ditching that we do, unquote. Councilman David George asked Kozlowski if he had talked to a town such as Sheldon about renting out their excavator and what it would be per hour. Kozlowski agreed that they do have profit sharing, but I'm not going to go up there and say, yeah, I need it today, and they have to say, no, I can't, I've got to use it. George then asked if the town of Sheldon purchases a new excavator every couple of years, to which Kozlowski stated that he did not know. George said, because of their budget, they can keep things pretty new. I'd think if they can make a little money back on it, they could care less if we use it, unquote. Kozlowski replied that borrowing equipment from towns is like asking to borrow from the county. It's just like the county, Kozlowski said. I can call them, too, and tell them, come dig, but they have 16 towns. Where are they going to be? He continued that the department does the ditching whenever they have the chance. Councilwoman Karen George stated that the purchase of a new excavator is just hard to justify. Later in the meeting, Councilman Doug George asked Kozlowski if he had previously stated that the town of Orangeville had an excavator that they trailed around like the proposed excavator, to which he confirmed. Doug George then asked whether he knew if the town of Orangeville was the only one that had that type. Kozlowski stated that Arcade, Warsaw, and Sheldon have wheeled excavators, and the town of Orangeville has both a wheeled and a tracked excavator. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from Warsaw's Country Courier on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Warsaw Chamber of Commerce gets prepared for annual Valley Fest. The following information comes for the Village of Warsaw's May meeting. President of the Warsaw Chamber of Commerce, Brenda Kelly, made an appearance during the Village of Warsaw's May 1, 2023 board meeting to discuss closing down two streets for the Valley Fest. According to the minutes, Kelly requested Genesee Street on July 14th and 15th be closed. The road will be closed from the corner of Genesee Street to Route 19, where the parking lots begin for the event. Kelly also reported that this year the Chamber will be focusing on more artisan crafts and vendors. Also coming from the Chamber was Tricia Morris-Kopinski. She had requested permission to use the Warsaw Fire Department's parking lot for food trucks. Morris-Kopinski had already reached out to Ted Lawall from the United Church for permission to use a portion of their lot as well. According to the minutes, the food trucks will not have an outside power source and will have to provide their own generators. Fire Chief Deanna Wilcox requested that the food trucks keep the front row of the parking lot vacant in the event volunteers would need to respond to an emergency. The board approved both the closing of Genesee Street from Route 19 to the beginning of the parking lots, as well as the closing of a portion of the fire department's parking lot for Valley Fest. Later in the meeting, Kelly reported that the flower pots have been planted and will be ready to hang before Memorial Day. In addition, the Hometown Heroes Banner program is full and a wait list has been started for the next year. In other news, Fire Chief Wilcox reported that following the April 22nd recruit event, the department had received a few new applications. 
Mayor Dan Burling was given the authorization to sign a grant application and all related documents to the Department of Environmental Round 16 Conservation Urban and Forestry Tree Planting and Management Plan grant. Fred Humphrey was appointed to the Zoning Board of Appeals for two years. And the village approved the following bills to be paid. General Abstract Number 23 for $57,518.25. Water Abstract Number 23, $3,376.56. And Sewer Abstract Number 23, $23,755.59. Six Flags Darien Lake opens May 20th for the 2023 season. Six Flags Darien Lake will kick off the 2023 season with new events and park enhancements to provide a memorable and premium park experience. Opening day is the beginning of another year of fun at Six Flags Darien Lake, said Park President Chris Thorpe. As New York's largest family-friendly destination, guests will enjoy their favorite rides and slides with a lineup of new and elevated events and experiences, plus comfort enhancements, including a new VIP lounge. Six Flags Darien Lake's 2023 additions include Laser Light Summerfest. Guests can enjoy an all-new Laser Light Spectacular show, dynamic marquee light displays, and a magical living garden with luminescent landscape features and stunning three-dimensional light creatures to enjoy before the show, including an after 5 p.m. Summerfest pre-party in Darien Square. Viva La Fiesta! Guests will enjoy live entertainment that will have them dancing the night away. This all-new event heats up the park with food, fun, and entertainment. July 4th Fireworks Celebration. Guests are invited to celebrate the holiday with thrills, delicious sweet chills, and exciting firework illuminations at night. Oktoberfest. This family-friendly German Heritage Festival will become a new fall tradition filled with authentic fare and a large selection of seasonal craft lagers and beers from around the world. VIP Lounge For a minimal fee, guests can rest and recharge at the new shaded indoor lounge. Cool off in the air conditioning while enjoying beverages, comfortable seating, and Wi-Fi to help guests relax and recharge. Park Beautification Guests will notice refreshed landscaping, a renovated main gate restroom, additional shaded seating for relaxation throughout the park, and more photo opportunities, renovated games locations, midway upgrades, and more. Wooden Coaster Retracking. The historic Predator roller coaster continues its retracking of more than 225 feet to ensure an enhanced ride experience the promise to deliver epic falls this season. New culinary options. Exciting new offerings are coming to the park this season, including flavor burst soft serve ice cream, mac and cheese crunch rolls, chocolate covered frozen bananas, and frozen adult beverages in Hurricane Harbor. The park is currently hiring for the 2023 season. Applicants age 14 and older can text JOBS to 585 207 8400 or complete an application at www.sixflagsjobs.com. 
More than 10 diverse departments offer exciting opportunities with flexible hours, great perks, and the opportunity to gain supervisor experience. <coughs> Six Flags Darien Lake operates weekends and select days May 20th through June 23rd, followed by daily summer operation through Labor Day. The park will not operate on Tuesdays. Visit http colon slash slash www.sixflags.com slash Darien Lake to learn more. May business in the Wyoming Central School District. The following information comes from the Wyoming Central School District's May meeting minutes. The Wyoming Central School District held its monthly board meeting on May 4, 2023. In addition to their regular board meeting, the school also held a public hearing for the proposed annual budget for the 2023-2024 school year. During the regular board meeting, the board was given three presentations, the first being from Brianne Forty, the 8th grade class advisor, who attended the meeting with two 8th grade students, Kaylee Merrill and Cruz Nichipuruk. According to the minutes, Forti, Merrill, and Nichipuruk gave a presentation on their class trip to Splash Lagoon in Erie, Pennsylvania, which will take place on June 16th. A total of eight students and four chaperones planned to attend. Later in the meeting, the board tabled the discussion on the eighth grade trip. The second and third presentations were given by Megan Barker, who is both the National Junior Honor Society advisor and the seventh grade co-advisor. Barker gave an overview of the requirements for induction into the National Junior Honor Society, as well as the end-of-year banquet, which is yet to be determined. Barker also gave a brief report on the 7th grade class fundraising for their class trip next year. In other board news item, the Buildings and Grounds Department is looking to replace their John Deere mower and also reported that the asbestos test came back fine. Item. Matt Hollister, the new technology director, has been working on organizing, working on the school's website, and ordering laptops and Chromebooks. Item. The school's Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act funds have been used for a curriculum director position of two years. Being able to have teachers stay after school to help students catch up from the COVID years, a school psychologist that provided mental health for students and families outside of school hours, a software purchase, and a pre-K teacher aid salary for two years. The school's CRRSA funds will end on September 30, 2023. For the school's American Rescue Plans Act funds, the school has one year remaining to use the funds and has currently used the funds for furniture for classrooms, the media center, the cafeteria, and the conference room. Item. The last day of school for students will be on June 21st. The school is giving students days off, June 22nd and 23rd, as part of emergency give-back days. Graduation will be on June 23rd at 6 p.m. Item. The board approved the conditions of employment for Rachel Hins and the co-curricular advisors for the 2023-2024 school year. The board has also established that Luann Holtz and Teresa Gonsiorek as permanent full-time teacher aides. Employment scams on the rise. 
As job seekers may be looking for work during the summer months, the Better Business Bureau is reminding the public to carefully verify employment offers to avoid falling victims to a scam. According to the Better Business Bureau's 2022 risk report, a few typical employment scam scenarios include the following. You are hired for a work-from-home opportunity and receive a check for home office equipment. After it arrives, your new employer asks you to wire funds to an account to cover the costs or to transfer funds via an online payment system. Once you've sent the employer the funds, you learn their check is bad and you must now cover the money you transferred. Somebody reaches out to say you are a great fit for a specific position and asks you to fill out an application. You fill it out, providing your birth date, social security number, driver's license, and other personally identifiable information. They then tell you they are no longer hiring, but now they have your information and can use it for identity theft or another type of fraud. You receive an opportunity to work for an offshore company that requires funds for a work permit, visa, or international training. Once you pay for your training, your contact stops responding to you. The Better Business Bureau offers the following tips to avoid an employment scan. 1. Be wary of offers that seem too good to be true. If you are paying for the promise of a job, it's probably a scam. 2. Always do background research on the job offer. Find the job listing on the company's website. 3. Be wary of work-from-home offers, shipping warehouse opportunities, and secret shopper positions. Our research found many fake job offers offer related to become a warehouse redistribution coordinator or similar jobs involving reshipping packages. 4. On-the-spot job offers are a red flag. Beware of offers made too quickly or without an interview. 5. Don't fall for a fake check scam. Be wary if the quote-unquote employer asks you to deposit a check and transfer funds to another account for training or equipment or for any other reason. 6. Be wary of vague job descriptions. To reach as many people as possible, scammers list job requirements that are broad enough to enable anyone to qualify. And, as always, anyone who encounters a scam is encouraged to report it to the scam tracker at bbb.org slash scam tracker. Warsaw Ministry offers hope for pregnant women. When a young woman finds out she is having a baby and she has no support, it can be a very trying experience. But there are several maternity homes across New York State that offer help to these women, with the first one opening in Syracuse in 2016. Another of these homes is located in Warsaw and opened its doors in 2018. It is called Lighthouse Station, a ministry run by Sarah Soute and her husband Todd. Sarah said that this ministry supplies whatever women need during their pregnancy. The home can take up to four women at a time. The location is not disclosed because of the fact that some of the women are endangered due to domestic violence or other traumatic situations. A pamphlet available from the ministry explains Lighthouse Station's mission. Quote, We offer safe, free housing, life skills training to prepare the mama for independent living, goal planning, biblical counseling and teaching, 
academic tutoring, and labor and delivery coaching. This home provides physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual support. Some of the stipulations that are needed for the ministry are women must be over 18 with no other children in their custody, at least 30 days sober from all drugs and alcohol, mentally stable and able to make decisions concerning themselves and their child, and wanting to pursue some type of education, either through GED, high school, or college programs. Residents are allowed to stay for the length of their pregnancy and up to six months after the birth of the baby. Residents have the right to hold and express their personal faith in God or their lack of faith. However, Lighthouse Station is founded on the principles of the Bible and our policies and procedures reflect our faith." Unquote. When Sute is speaking, she is also quick to say that Lighthouse Station runs completely on don donations. Recently, Kathy Kowalski, president of the Auxiliary for the Six Star Legion Post 637 in Strikersville and support person for the Junior Auxiliary, heard about Lighthouse Station and shared the information with Junior Auxiliary member Jack Lynn Crow. <coughs> Jack Lynn said she was completely onto it and so happy that there is a place that provides this kind of help. She began thinking of ways she could help the pregnancy ministry. She has gotten baby bottles from Lighthouse Station, which are used for fundraising, and plans to put them out to collect donations. The Six Star Legion and a few other places around have already donated. Bottles have been placed at the Can Land on Route 77 in Strikersville, and the Strikersville VFW and Strikersville Fire Department. If you are interested in finding out more about the Lighthouse Station Ministry and the fundraising campaign by the Six Star Legion Junior Auxiliary, you can call 585-237-8644 or look online at www.thelighthousestation.org. The donation drive by the Junior Auxiliary will be running until Father's Day. The next fundraiser for Lighthouse Station will take place on June 17th at the Warsaw Village Park Fireman's Grounds. The event will include a cornhole tournament, $25 per team, a chicken barbecue, a basket raffle, and dessert trucks, and will run from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can register for the tournament or buy dinner tickets through the website. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from Warsaw's Country Courier on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Spectrum Health launches podcast. Monthly program talks about mental wellness. Spectrum Health and Human Services is launching an informational podcast about mental wellness and related topics. Spectrum Health Journey is a monthly half-hour podcast co-hosted by licensed mental health counselor Maline White and Bob Statura, Vice President of Buffalo Advertising Management. The first episode will be available on Thursday, May 11, 2023 on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Radio Public, and anchor.fm slash p-o-w-u-f-o. There has never been a more important or relevant time for this kind of conversation, said Spectrum Health President and CEO Cindy Volker. 
Maylene and Bob talk about mental health and wellness in a way that is engaging and understandable. The first episode will also include information on the many activities happening in and around Buffalo on the first anniversary of the racially motivated tragic massacre at the Jefferson Avenue Tops and how coping skills can help us understand and better manage our feelings around this horrific occasion. White, a program manager at Spectrum Health for the past six years, is pleased to be part of this production. She said, It has been my desire to engage in a podcast to create more mental health awareness for all those who struggle with mental health, those who are uncertain about mental health's existence, and those who are directly involved based upon their relationship with others. Mental health can be a scary place and a dark place, so providing facts and having continuous dialogue will be very helpful. Come with us on this personal journey, and together let's work on reaching a place of understanding, peace, and acceptance. I am thankful for the opportunity that I have been given to share my knowledge with you, to enlighten you, and to grow with you along this important journey. Unquote. For Stachura, co-hosting this series, is an opportunity to share his experience. It is a privilege for me to host this podcast, Stachura said. I want to continue to help eliminate the stigma that is associated with mental health. Through my own life experiences, I find there are a lot of people, like myself, who are going through very dark and difficult times and are afraid to talk about it. I am very blessed to have found relief through counseling and medication, and when I talk about my experience with a struggling individual, it is a welcome relief for them to know that they are not alone. Co-hosting with Maylene is a perfect fit. She is the expert in this field and brings such insight and encouragement, and I look forward to this new opportunity to help those in need. New episodes will be produced monthly and will be archived on Spectrum Health's website https colon slash slash www.shswny.org slash resources. Sports. Girls track. Letchworth beats Dansville. Indians finish unbeaten 7-0. and On May 9th, 2023, Visiting Letchworth defeated Dansville 86-55 in an LCAA interdivisional meet. The Indians won LCAA Division II at 4-0 and finished 7-0 overall. The Indians won 11 events and the Mustangs won 6. Senior Tory Franklin won the 400 intermediate hurdles at 1 minute 10.4 seconds and the 400 meters at 1 minute 4.4. 5-3, plus two relays to quadruple. She won the 400-meter relay in 53.26 seconds with Talon Bramer, Macy Weaver, and Hannah Gill. Franklin also won the 1600-meter relay in 4 minutes 33.62 seconds with Erica Constable, Bramer, and Emily Pearl. Gill won the long jump to double, 13 feet 10 inches, and finished third in the 100-meter dash, 13.49 seconds. Senior Sarah Andrews won the discus, 91 feet even. Senior Jordan Moran finished a second in the shot putt, 
26 foot, 1.5 inches, to finish the seniors scoring in their final dual meet. Erica Constable also doubled, winning the 100 high hurdles, 17.88 seconds. Alyssa Abbott won the shot put for a 1-2 Indian finish, 26 feet, 3 inches. Lindsay Constable won the pole vault, 7 foot 7 inches, and took second in the long jump, 13 feet 5 inches, for a 1-2 Indian finish. Maddie Geising won the 1,500 meters, 6 minutes, 1.4 seconds, and finished third in both the 400 intermediate hurdles and the pole vault. Bramer won the triple jump, 30 feet 1 inch, to triple, and finished third in the 200 meter dash. Naomi Yount, coming back from an injury, finished second in both the 800 meters at 2 minutes 35.3 seconds and 400 meters, 1 minute 7.81, for another 1-2 Indian finish. Weaver also finished third in the 100 high hurdles. Kendra Brace finished second in the 100 high hurdles for a 1-2-3 Indian finish, and she also took second in the triple jump with 28 feet 4 inches for another 1-2 Indian finish. Letchworth competed in the Dave Crab Invitational at Livonia on May 12th. Franklin won the 400 intermediate hurdles at 1 minute 14.44 seconds, and Geising finished second with 1 minute 15.44 seconds for a 1-2 Indian finish. Franklin also won the 400 meter relay at 52.74 seconds with Gill, Weaver, and Bramer. Franklin won the 1,600-meter relay to quadruple, 4 minutes, 33 seconds, with Bramer, Yount, and Pearl. Cousin An Cousins Andrews, first, 97 feet, 5 inches, and Sasha Bellamy, second, at 85 feet, 4 inches, finished 1-2 for the Indians in the discus. Yount finished second in the 800 meters, 2 minutes, 33.24 seconds, and Weaver finished second in the long jump. 14 feet, 0.5 inches. Abbott finished third in shot put at 30 feet, 6.5 inches. The Indians will be at the LCAA meet on May 19th, hosted by Caledonia Mumford, to start the LCAA postseason and the path to the Section 5 state qualifier, which will set up the Section 5 team for the New York State meet in June. Track and field. Blue Devils excel in girls' jumps. Attica won two girls' jumping events and one boys' relay Friday, May 12, 2023, during the Lancer Invitational at East Ridge High School in Arundaquoit. Elizabeth Gunlock won the high jump at 4 foot 10 inches, while Skylar Savage won the long jump, 15 feet 10 and 3 quarters inches. The Blue Devils topped the boys' 1,600-meter relay. 3 minutes, 28.62 seconds. Overall, the top eight finishers in each event scored points for their team. Savage had a series of other events where she added points to the Blue Devils' total. She was third in the 100-meter hurdles, 16.72 seconds, sixth in the 100-meter, 13.27, and seventh in the triple jump, 32 feet and one-half inch. Ellie Cosmano placed eighth in the triple jump at 31 feet 11 and 3 quarters inches. Gunlock was eighth in the 400 hurdles, 
1 minute 13.14 seconds. Teammate Mia Ficarella was just ahead of her in 7th place at 1 minute 12.97 seconds. Ficarella also gave Attica a 5th place finish in the 400 at 1 minute 2.84 seconds. The Blue Devils' other top finish was 3rd in the 1600 meter relay at 4 minutes 20.53 seconds. Kaylee Bugatsky was 5th in the shot put, 28 feet 10.5 inches. Bailey Nixon was 6th in the 2000 meter steeplechase, 8 minutes 36.34 seconds, and 7th in the 800 meter, 2 minutes 29.31 seconds. Mackenzie McLeod finished tied for 6th in the pole vault at 9 feet. Josh Clark scored points for the Attica boys in the hurdles events. He was 2nd in the 400, 57.42 seconds, and 5th in the 110, 16.4 seconds. Jack James was 3rd in the high jump at 5 feet 10 inches. Taylor Zimmerman was 4th in the discus, 133 feet 6 inches, while Noah Wheeler was 8th in the long jump, 19 feet 7 and 3 quarters inches. Jordan Anderson was 6th in the 400, 53.49 seconds. The Blue Devils were also 6th in the 400 relay at 44.94 seconds. In team scoring, the Attica girls were 5th with 57 points. The boys were 7th with 41. You have been listening to a reading of articles and features from the May 18, 2023 issue of Warsaw's Country Courier on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Your reader has been Mark Eckstein. Thank you for listening.